Hello, listeners. It's truly our pleasure to have you join us for this weekly segment of our program called Hearer Voices from the People Who Bring You ICU Talks. Today, we'll take a few minutes to revisit the messages from our most recent event and dig a little deeper into the content and meaning of what we heard. So now, it's our great pleasure to begin this episode of Hear Voices. We hope you enjoy it. Well, hey, wonderful viewers and listeners. We're so glad that you're here. We're ICU Talks podcast, Hear Voices. And this is Kim Honeycutt. I'm a psychotherapist, and I am the founder and president day. Oh, you finally pulled the president out. Good. I was. That's a good term. Y'all told me to use that term. I think I don't should. even know why we'd say president. It's, I can't it remember. Sounds, uh, you know, it's really authoritative. Like something, yeah. Because I'm so mean. Is that what it is? A little bit. Yeah. A little okay, bit. I'm down with that. Tendencies. I like to imitate people with this muscle. Oh, my. Did you see that, brother? Yes. So the person Where? that you're hearing talking that's probably aggravating you right now is my little brother, Dan. Introduce yourself. Oh, now? Now you're allowed to speak. Hi, I'm little brother Dan Bruzek. Hi, Dan Bruzek. Hi. So y'all know that he's a little brother I never wanted, but he's got a radio voice like <laughs> no other, so he and I what get to do this. What are you talking about? What are you saying what's, to me right what's now? What's going on? <laughs> so he's a part of ICU Talk, and as you know, ICU Talks meets on the third Tuesday of every month, but we started something new, Dan. We started, God gave me this vision. He just told me one morning, he said, I... You're not busy enough, so... Right, let's add something. <laughs> mm-hmm. He said, I want you to start doing ICU Talks classes. Mm-hmm. And then the volunteers got together, and they named it Mental Health You. And I want to tell you all, we do call it mental health. We're not going to shy away from that. People have told us for years to call it to call an emotional struggle, to put flowers on it. I want you all to know this about mental health, and I'm mentally ill. I got many not diagnoses. I mean, I can stand by that diagnosis for you. You can. You can stamp it. You can. You've got your yeah. own. Oh, many. That goes without saying. People Golly. can hear you and tell yes. that. That's I, just the way it is. I'm not, is that your voice I'm even hearing? I mean, I don't we, know. When that's why it's called Hear Voices. <laughs> I do hear voices. That's beside the point. So. <laughs> our, our guest is looking a little bit nervous. She is. So. I think she's going to roll a joint in a second. And, if and she passes out. Blaze right. it out to that's deal with us. That's what they do us. on like when, um, Did they do that? They, yeah, when the Tesla guy, Elon Musk, went on a podcast. Remember he was seen smoking a... I don't have time for stuff like that. I'm doing God's work. Mm. Anyway, mm-hmm. so <laughs> so I want Sheila. We have Sheila King here with us. And so this is what's so great about her. She's about to share with you what God told her about being a part of Mental Health U because he didn't tell me who would direct the class. He just told me to do it. I decided to date, and then Sheila and I ran into each other. And Sheila, welcome. Thank you. What would you like? Would you tell them a little bit real quick about how this all happened? Okay, so my name is Sheila King. I am in private practice in Davidson, North Carolina. And uh, I actually went back to school seven years ago to, after feeling called to work with women in crisis, and I really did not know what that meant. And I probably would have run if I had known (laughs) what it was going to entail. But for me right now, it means working with women in crisis in their marriage relationship and working also with their partners. So I am certified as a sexual addiction recovery therapist. I'm certified to work with partners and also certified to work with intimacy anorexia. Yeah, I love that term because I think a lot of people, or at least in my field, are familiar with sexual anorexia. Mm -hmm. And then the guy that trained you, an amazing man named Doug Weiss, 
He's the one that coined intimacy anorexia, right? He did. He did. He did. And so when I ran into you that day, mm-hmm. um, God had already talked to you. That was amazing. Right. Yes. <laughs> he. I was. I was cleaning my house, and I just heard God say, "Kim's going to ask you to speak." Mm. And really? I thought, yes. Yeah. A couple hours before I saw her. Yeah. So I. True story. Yes, and because he had already told me that when she asked me, I couldn't do anything but say yes. So here Praise I am. So well, I'm so glad you yes. said yes to that. Mm-hmm. And so you came up with the, the title, obviously, of Intimacy Anorexia. And that's not just about marriages. No. And we were very clear about that. We don't discriminate against people like me who are single. Because you can have, that I've learned from you on Saturday, mm-hmm. Intimacy Anorexia towards self, yes. towards friends, mm-hmm. towards work, towards others, and most importantly, towards God. Yes, you can. Forgive me, I'm already confused, though. The, the term <laughs> the term originated from where, from, from you? No, it actually originated with Doug Weiss. Okay. So he was dealing with a lot of sexual anorexia. Most of his practice was sexual addicts. So he was seeing sexual anorexia, but realized that he, these people are withholding in other areas than just sexually. Sure. So there are 10 areas that he was able to identify that they withhold in. But can I give you a definition of intimacy anorexia so that yeah, uh, we can be on idea. the same page? So intimacy anorexia is the active withholding of emotional, spiritual, and sexual connection in a long-term committed relationship like marriage. However, there are predictors in the individual that would, mm. yes, pre- 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 predispose dispose them yeah, yes, to awesome. acting in an anorexic way within their marriage. And what's important, if you want me to keep going, is that it is active, meaning it's intentional. Mm -hmm. And when couples initially come for therapy, the person with intimacy anorexia kind of balks at that intentionality part of it, but the spouse always knows that it's intentional. Amen. They see see it. But after the uh, person with intimacy anorexia starts getting therapy, starts doing the work, they usually see that it is intentional. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. right. Well, I tell you, so we just did one hour with you on Saturday, mm-hmm. and people could not, like, I think people have arthritis from writing so many notes, Dan. Oh, yeah. Like, they were just eating it up, and people were so into it. So we already know we need more from you as part of why you're here today. You needed at least an hour and a half. Because it was, it's just such good information. I was listening to Sheila, who's just so profound and spoke it so well. I was thinking, this is 95% of the population. Yeah. This is 95%. Either you are, you know someone with intimacy anorexia, which causes you to have reactive intimacy mm-hmm. anorexia. Exactly. Or you're the one that's anorexic. Mm-hmm. And I'm not putting down anorexia, those of you who are listening. So, and I was going to ask how many people were that were there were probably affected by this. So you'd say probably at least everyone. It was, I mean, something got them about the title to come in. Yeah. But the the way they were taking notes, and she she at one point the way she was describing someone who like gets overly involved with their kids, and then she said they, and then they even get overly involved with their dog. She just called out my friend sitting right beside me, and I just had to say her name. I said, you just talked about Jennifer. I know. And Jennifer's like, I'm that's, leaving. That's you keep calling out, calling me out like this. You know, because it really it, it applies to a lot of people, doesn't it, Sheila? It does. And what Dr. Weiss says is that 
90% of his practice was sex addiction initially, and now 75% is intimacy anorexia. Oh, wow. So it's a big problem, and I'm getting calls. I've gotten calls from Australia, Canada, mm. and all over the U.S. to uh, work with me. On wow, this condition. Yes. that is great. That is great. So, is that because the population has grown so much in the one realm versus the other, or is it just the interest has gone into the intimacy anorexia? Right. So he had said he used to be into the um, the overdoers, if you would, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. And now you said it's seventy percent of the anorexic type, right? Yes, seventy five percent. And and there are reasons, and I will share that with you okay. because uh, there are reasons people become anorexic. Um, well, intimacy anorexics. But I do want to also let you know that it is a relational disorder. It's not a DSM psychological disorder. And that matters because Mm -hmm. a psychological disorder can be seen globally. Say John has um, bipolar disorder or schizophrenia. People in his realm know that he has that or if he's depressed. Oh, sure. But intimacy anorexia is seen only in the primary couple relationship. That's a good distinction. That was very well said. Very well said. So say Sue has intimacy anorexia. She can be the life of the party somewhere else. She's pious, helpful at church, you know, pulls in her neighbor's trash can, but when she gets in the house, she shuts down. Mm -hmm. So that's the difference. Right. It may stay very busy there. I love what you said, Saturday, about that, that your husband or wife who has intimacy anorexia may be doing a thousand things cleaning cutting the grass but that's not they're not really doing it for you that's not your way of being loved and they know that and yet they continue to do it so people on the outside think you're so fortunate to have him and you're starving Mm -hmm. that's the anorexia you're starving yeah so it's just like the billionaire that travels all the time and for his job, it's maybe like, oh boy, that would be great. You got that husband too, but right, sure. never see him. So then that's not so right. much fun either. Which is the whole stay busy until they have. Mm-hmm. I think we could talk for an hour just about being busy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So what are, are there other possible characteristics you might see in someone? Okay, so the just to clarify a little bit more, the primary relationship demands a level of trust that relationships outside don't require a person. So, um, and in the primary relationship, you're supposed to move towards that person. And when someone with intimacy anorexia has someone moving towards them, that's when they push away. Uh Yeah. Uh Yeah. I raise my hand, viewers. (laughs) I do. Viewers. Yeah. Listeners, y'all can see me. (laughs) You see the face I just made. I did. (laughs) I did. did. Yeah. Thank you, Sheila. So the causes. Yes. So there are four known causes that he identified and that I've also seen in my practice. And one, and a person with intimacy and anorexia can have one of these, two of them or all four. Uh, the first one is sexual trauma or abuse in their past. And that makes a lot of sense. When a person is sexually abused, it affects every part of who they are, emotionally, spiritually, sexually, physically. It affects their nervous system. They, uh, it changes how they see the world. And oftentimes, they lose their ability to trust. So, in Did you say it had to be a sexual trauma or was it or just... Abuse. Or abuse. Or okay, abuse. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. Good. Yeah. And the soul that experiences that demands a safe place. And intimacy anorexia provides that safe system for them. To, and, and they even sometimes have a core belief that um, I am unworthy, 
I am defiled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am bad. Sure. Yeah, yeah. That's good. And they even create a covenant with themselves that says, I will never allow anyone to hurt me. Mm-hmm. Right. It's the mm-hmm. never again. Yes. We develop a lot of yes. parts of ourselves that stay with the never again. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Are there other characteristics that um, we should look out for? So the next one, and these are not in any particular order, but sex addiction. And of course that makes sense because when someone, and generally people who become addicted to like pornography do so in adolescence. So the, by the time they're an adult, they have created this fantasy life that they go to mm-hmm. and they've done this thousands of times, you know, and in marriage, they come into marriage for one thing, they've watched porn, and they come in with wrong expectations in sexual um, gratification, and they have either learned to um, just go to this place of fantasy, have um, um, images that they recall, right. or um, just create you know, this it's, whole it's social world. Distance. Yes, it's, and, and it's they good can't that the connect. internet wasn't around when I was an adolescent. Then, <laughs> yes, so it is. It is. <laughs> yeah. So they um, they have object relations. They go to this place of you know having this object that they connect to, identify to, and they frankly have not learned and don't have emotional depth and maturity. So right. it's really hard to expect right. them to be able to do that with their partner. Right. Those seem like logical things, but it's almost like I have to hear it out loud to really yeah. get how it pieces together. Exactly. And it seems like um, of these 10 things, boy, a lot of us fall into some of this sometime, especially right. in some we of do. these relationships, I would think. We do. How, how long has intimacy anorexia been around? So when did, uh, when did Dr. Weiss found it? So he has seen it for 30 years, just didn't oh. know what to call it. Oh, okay. But like within the past, I think, seven to 10 years, he wrote a book about it and then it began to, um, hmm. you know, reach the sexual, sexual addiction community. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so another cause is attachment issues with their opposite gender parent. So this is the result of the child having little or no opportunity to create an emotional bond with a parent. And sometimes it's no fault of the parent. Uh, it can be death that caused it or a divorce, or it can be the result of an absent or emotionally unsafe parent. So um, regardless of the situation, the child has had to create this um, emotional safety and shut down. And with that, they uh, conclude that uh, attachment is not possible with a person of uh, cross gender, of Mm -hmm. the opposite Mm -hmm. gender. Mm -hmm. So they say the opposite gender is not trustworthy. I have to disconnect to survive in a relationship, or I'm not worthy of opposite sex connection, or it's not necessary. Right. And also, I can function in a relationship without any emotional connection. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so a, a part of what was so great about this is that you can hear the codependency, people pleasing. I can hear, for, for those of you who understand about attachment styles, everyone's got an attachment style. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people have what's called... Um, avoidant attachment style which is what this sounds like it yes. means that they'll never be inconvenienced the other person in the garage playing with their tools why stereotypically the wife is inside mm-hmm. craving more but the person who has avoidant always stays in charge of the relationship yes so it has a similarity to that um, but also narcissism mm-hmm. 
And so I loved how clear you were with all that, that it may be interwoven, but a narcissist will have intimacy anorexia, you said, but just because you have intimacy anorexia doesn't make you narcissistic. Exactly. Yeah, good distinctions, good things to know. Yes, they do have a lot of the same characteristics, but a narcissistic person, you know them when you see them. Yes, especially Mm -hmm. their malignant narcissists. Right, right. I do have a question. So what, what's the success rate for people that come in and seek help or therapy for this? It depends on how willing they are to continue therapy, do the work. It requires lots of work. Okay. And usually a person with intimacy anorexia will do the least amount mm-hmm. just to keep their spouse happy mm-hmm. and then regress and then have to come back. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes... Because this is new, they've gone to therapy, but the therapist hasn't really known what was going on with them. So they go to therapist after therapist, Mm -hmm. and they have been in this so long that they just have given, the the spouse has given up. Um, and, And by the time they get to therapy, the ones who are still in love with the intimacy anorexic partner just overflows when they start getting love. Yeah. But the one who's just said, it's not worth it, I'm right. tired of this, I am angry, I am hurt, and I wanna move on, moves on and does not stay. Yeah. So it's important to, when you hear these characteristics, get help. Yeah. Right, yeah. which is why it's so important you're doing what you're doing, being yes. so open with, because I know it took a lot to get certified and to it learn did. about all this. <laughs> have you found people who have intimacy anorexia do better if they read a book about it, if they watch a YouTube video on it, so that it's not someone being intimate with them sharing it. Mm-hmm. It helps, of course, to yeah. get the information. And there's a lot of information out there on the internet. You can take the uh, test yourself to see if you meet the criteria. And there are 10 criteria, but you only have to meet five of them to uh, be considered an intimacy anorexic. Now, there is one more one more oh, cause, one more. Oh, good. and it's poor role modeling by the uh, same gender parent. Mm. Oh. That makes sense. So, that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. So good job, Dan. That, yeah. Good job, Dan. <laughs> Are you four for four over there, brother? <laughs> yes. I think you're like knocking it out of the park. <laughs> I need to. I'm eat. I'm calling your wife. I'm calling. <laughs> needed to eat. <laughs> so no matter how they came to have this. I I have empathy for both the spouse and the person with the intimacy anorexia because both generally wonder why is our relationship like this. And and for the intimacy anorexic, their hearts had to close to protect themselves. Mm -hmm. And it was adaptive for them as a child Mm -hmm. or whenever the trauma occurred, but now it's killing them Uh and their relationship. Sure. Right. I do understand that yeah, at a personal level. As silly as this sounds, I, I view it as if you've never had electric windows in your car. Mm-hmm. All right, and so you're just so used to, remember back in the mm-hmm. day when you were growing up, roll up windows, and so you've never had it, and so you don't know you're missing something, but your mm-hmm. spouse has had electric windows all their life. Mm-hmm. So they know. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you're, mm-hmm. You know, they know the difference. And That's so good. the person who's never experienced it is like, I don't know why you're upset. Yeah. We're good. My window's down. My window's down. I got muscle from doing that all these years, right? Like, it's just, it's two different worlds because traditionally, the person who has a more of an anxious attachment means they crave dependency, mm-hmm. go towards a person who fears intimacy. Yes. Uh, and so that's the average American marriage that mm-hmm. I've seen. Mm-hmm. 
And so it keeps Sheila and I very, very employed. Yes. We're good. Our bills are paid. Let's put it that way. Yes. Thank y'all for that. <laughs> so do we have time really quickly to go over some of the characteristics? Give us, um, can we go over the, is it from this test? Yes. Can yeah. we just do the first one? Because I think that relates to people so much. And that's about being busy. Okay. Would that be okay? And then sure. we'll, we'll, we need more of you. Clearly, we need more of this. Mm-hmm. But Dan and I talk about this a lot, mm-hmm. as my little brother. Mm-hmm. And the first one says, do they stay so busy that they have little time for you? Yes. So I, this I've seen as the number one characteristic. The couples that come in always, <laughs> without fail, we were too busy uh-huh. this week. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. they just keep themselves busy right. in a way to withhold from it's their it's an easy thing to say these days right it's a yes. badge of honor everybody's if, busy Ooh, i'm busy there's, there's yeah. truth to it and there is if you don't slow down you don't realize you don't have to be that busy or right i'm so busy i'm i have anorexia towards me you, mm. that's yeah. a good way to look at it yeah. too. right absolutely and i think that's a starting place for a lot of people to see right. how much am i connected to self and the god right within. and what are your priorities then that are you're right. putting toward being busy right. yeah and that leaves the spouse feeling rejected, unwanted. Sure. They say, why did I get into this marriage, you know, if right. you're not going to be there for me? What's right. the purpose? And the spouse is like, we're good, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. What do you, why do you always want more from me? Exactly. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They love to blame their spouses, criticize them. Right. Uh, yeah, as a way of just creating distance in the relationship to cause pain so that yeah. then there's space yeah. there and they can be safe. Yeah, and I think that's a starting place for our listeners to think about every relationship that you have, if you just kind of think about where, whether it's a friend, or your spouse, your partner, the distance between you and that person, there are things you do every day to keep them there. Yeah. Every day, whether it's sarcasm, not returning a text in a timely manner, mm-hmm. you know, or suffocating them and, and blowing up their phone. Right. Like you'll do something to keep them where they are unless you stop being so busy and slow down and figure out what's really going on. Yes, and be present mm. when be you are present. there. Yes. Amen. Be point. where your feet are. Yes. Oh, be where your good. feet are. Oh, you guys are learned. We so smart. Very learned. We're smarts. Mm. We went to them schools. You went to a hard school. I went to a really easy graduate school. You went to Gordon Conwell. Maybe did you it was not? hard for me. You went to Gordon Conwell. Everyone I know that goes to Gordon Conwell. Like what they expect from y'all is different. USC. Mm. If you drive slow enough, a degree will land. <laughs> Will land in your car. So that's what happened for me. Yeah, Chris, I got God. one when I was driving through God Columbia. I was like, oh, I'm God oh, see. You got, you got a PhD. Yeah. You got a PhD. Yeah. Doing a lot with that. Yeah. Well, it's the only place I know, so I don't know if it was hard <laughs> or not. So. It was hard. You yes. did great. Yeah. You did great. So I'm so glad that you're in this field. Anything else you just feel like, cause we, we're going to wrap this up, unfortunately, that you just really just want the, the, our listeners to know? There is hope and there is help. Yes. 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 That's what I'd want. Which also is great because you know, our theme this week is chronic hope, chronic yeah. pain. Yes. And that pain for a lot of people is, is chronic pain is emotional yes. and crippling in marriages. And there is hope for this. Yes. And I'm just asking people, do not contact me. Contact mm-hmm. Sheila King. <laughs> Seriously, con- she's amazing. Don't you also see people on Saturdays? I do. Yeah, I'm drunk on Saturdays in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> don't contact my, my little don't, brother don't Dan and I. Dan. I don't know Don't anything. talk to Dan about anything, <laughs> ever. But Sheila King is available for you. She's a Christian woman, She uh, and she's just real. I mean, she's just real. And I would have to say, not to this marriage life, but she's pretty beautiful. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, as a married I, when you, man, I would say Very married man. I mean, very, she's a beautiful, very beautiful person, like so. the outside and the inside match. And I like that about people. 
they, that's a good way. Yeah, to I like it. that about her. So will you <laughs> tell them real quick, website, whatever, yes. how do they find you? Ashes to Beauty Counseling, and I'm in Davidson, North Carolina. Uh, my number is 919-756-5910. 5910. All right. There you go. We got that. So please find Sheila. She's a part of ICU Talks family. So we just did our first Mental Health You. She's the pioneer. She did this for us. We're going to do it every three months. The next time will be in June. But Sheila is going to do a breakout group for us at our conference on November 2nd. And so we're going to have it set up in the auditorium for her so that we can have as many people in there as possible. We're going to put her in there for the masses can come because I believe this applies to really 95% of us. If you're listening to a a podcast called Hear Voices, it it applies to you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited about the breakout. Yeah. Thank you, Sheila, for being so open and being willing to do this. Thanks so much. It was nice meeting you, too. Thank you. Nice meeting you, too. Dan, little brother, once again, we've done it. I think that's a wrap. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening. We'll see you later. Bye-bye. Thanks again for joining us. ICU Talks is a mental health ministry founded on God, education, validation, and community. ICU Talks hosts live events that occur on the third Tuesday of every month, allowing people to come forward to share their authentic stories involving mental health in front of a live audience. Please subscribe to our podcast, and we'd be very pleased if you would leave us positive and uplifting comments. Keep in mind, all original ICU Talk sessions are available on YouTube. And for more information, please go to icutalks.org. It's been a pleasure having you join us today.